Sister Grace Wrap me in outrageous favor Fold me in your sweet embrace You know Thank you for joining us on the End of the Wild Show. And I shouldn't even say us because today I don't have anyone sitting here in the office. I'm all alone. But no, I'm not going to preach to you because I'm actually on the phone with a good friend of mine and a man who probably everyone listening knows. He's a very, very popular author and and just an incredible theologian in my opinion. But I'm I'm here talking with Frank Viola. How are you, Frank? Good, Darren, and I, I so appreciate you having me on. I, I just um, did a, I don't know what the proper word is, a tweet, a twit, uh, <laughs> using Twitter. Yeah, I, I don't get that terminology. I'm <laughs> quite sure about the vernacular, but I said uh, in 30 minutes I'm going to be talking with Darren Hufford, who I predict your name will be right up there with Max Licato. Wow. Uh, I predict that you will be one of the best, uh, well, uh, best known most well-known Christian authors in our time. Now, I could be well, wrong about that, but I, well, I, I hope you're right. happening to you. So. <laughs> I appreciate those kind words. Uh, my, my wife, if she were here, she would say, as long as he doesn't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> right. And our wives have a way of uh, injecting wisdom and down to earthness <laughs> into us. But I do see that coming for you with this new book that you're going to be releasing in November. So I'm very honored to be here. Well, thank you. And I, I appreciate your endorsement on the book, too. It just it means the world to me. And, and I, you know, I, I, I don't even know, honestly, what to think of you, honestly. I, I, I picture you in an office 24 hours a day doing nothing but writing. Because you, since well, I, that would about kill me if it were true. But no, I um, I'm one of these guys that want to have a free moment. I sit down, whether it's on an airplane or uh, in a hotel room if I'm at a conference, or if it's in the wee hours of the night. For example, I woke up at two a.m. last night, oh. <laughs> couldn't sleep, and I wrote for about an hour and then went back to bed. So oh. it's kind of piecemeal for me. But certainly, I don't live in an office. Oh. But you know, you come out. It's since I've since I've even met you, I think you've come out with like six books. <laughs> Every and and all, I finished one. I finished uh, from eternity to here, and I think what has two more been out since then? No, actually one. But oh. so let me tell you what's going on here, and and your listeners too. Uh, I am no NT Wright, and uh, the <laughs> the joke about NT Wright is someone calls his office and says, "I would like to speak to uh, Doctor Wright." And the secretary says, well, I'm sorry, he's working on another book. And then the person on the other end of the phone says, well, that's fine. Put me on hold. I'll wait. Because <laughs> he puts them out so quickly. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I cannot fill that man's shoes. Basically, what I have done is I wrote a lot of books over the last 10 years. I shouldn't say a lot, maybe four or five. 
and they are now being picked up by publishers, and so they're being revised and expanded. So what you're seeing is a lot of volume in a short period of time, but the fact of the matter is these things have been written a long time okay. ago, and now they're being revised, rewritten, expanded, et cetera. Okay, so, and I found, you know, uh, my book coming out, The Misunderstood God, you know, as you know, it was the God's honest truth before that. I found right. it was harder to revise a book than it was just to write one from the ground up. How did it go for you? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, on the book Pagan Christianity, which I co-authored with George Barna, that was a little bit difficult because I had another author. And so consequently, we had to, you know, pass uh, the chapters on to one another. And that took time, especially given uh, George's schedule so busy and I'm busy. So that took a while. That actually took two years to uh, get it to the place where the publisher was ready to put it out. And there was a lot of question, too, as to how to make the book more accessible to people. The original version, when we finished it, did not have the question answers yeah. after each chapter, and that was suggested by the editor and and so forth. And so kind of we had to go back to the drawing board and, and do that piece of it. But the other books, um, for me, it was actually pretty easy to um, revise them and expand them. I, I'm not sure why. I guess it's different for everyone. Yeah. But for me, I was not cutting it down. I was increasing and expanding. And then I think in your case, you had to chop it down yeah, some. So I, maybe that's yeah. part of it. That, yeah, I think that that was it for me. I mean, I had to cut about half out. So <laughs> okay, was, yeah, that's huge. <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> I bet, because you had to make a choice yeah, as yeah. to what was important enough to go in. Yeah. So. But, you know, I, I read Pagan Christianity, but I haven't read the new version with, oh, with okay, you and George. But... I read the old version. Bless your heart. So you have a collector's edition. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And there's, who knows how many of those are in print right now. In fact, I saw, I don't know, I think it was a year ago, somebody alerted me to the fact that Amazon.com took that old version and was selling it for like $300, oh. <laughs> which is ridiculous. <laughs> and I have no idea who is doing that. I have no idea if anybody was crazy enough to buy it at that price. But I will just say this to you. The new version with Barna is far better. Is it really? In my opinion. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, it, it's a cleaner read. It's uh, There's a lot more research. Uh, there were some minor you know, typographical errors, a few historical problems in terms of footnoting. Uh, all of that's been fixed. And the nice thing about it is there's about 30 to 40 pages that's just brand new material. Yeah. And we have a lot of question-answer uh, in it. After each chapter, there's a Q&A under the title Delving Deeper, where we go into more depth and we anticipate objections to the book. And so we get to uh, answer those questions. So to my mind, it, it's a far better book. Yeah. And, and, of course, it was professionally edited. You know, I didn't have that the first time around. So, sure. yeah. you know, the flaws of writing come out pretty bad there. But uh, it's a better book. I was a bit surprised that... I guess I wasn't surprised, but but I, I was actually more excited than I was surprised that George Barna came on board with this. I mean, after Revolution, it was obvious that he had made a huge life decision, you know. Right. And uh, But, wow, I mean, pagan Christianity. I talked to someone just the other day who, who uh, went to a church that I years ago used to go preach at and I mean, they got halfway through it and just they couldn't they couldn't do the system anymore. Yeah, I hear this from everybody. I mean, this book is solely responsible (laughs) 
for causing such a mass exodus for for so many people to get up and open their eyes and walk away from a system. I'm surprised that George, I mean, how has this affected him? It's interesting. You say you were surprised when I got a call from George Barna in 2006 regarding this book. uh, I was in shock for three days. I mean, I I couldn't believe it. And when he said that Tyndale was interested in publishing it, well, then I had the blind staggers for another three days. (laughs) Because, you know, they're a very conservative publishing house. And, of course, Pagan Christianity, I mean, the book is loaded with vinegar. It really does challenge our most sacred cows, including the clergy system, which is the greatest of them all. But as we have gotten to know one another, you use the term life decision, and boy, that nails it, because he knew what he was getting into. In fact, he caught a lot of flack from revolution. Oh, yeah, I and bet. But, but this is bigger. Was, this is where I'm going. This is where the church is going. This is where God is going. Yeah. And I want to please God. I don't care about pleasing man. I want to please God. And I, I tip my hat to the man for yeah. doing that because he realized, I mean, somebody said to me, Frank, you know, having a book with George Barna's name on it will make you famous. My reply was, <laughs> having George Barna's name on a book with mine on it will get him crucified. <laughs> uh, so, I know. You know. I know. <laughs> that kind of a thing. But I tell you what, he drew a line in the sand. He knew what he was doing. He wow. has not backed off from it. Uh, he's been very supportive of, of the other books that have come out, and he is on this track, and he's not getting off of it. So. That's, that's good. I'm, Yeah, I read Revolution, and I was just— I, I don't think I, I was probably more excited than when I read anything just because I felt like somebody was finally giving a voice to what I had been feeling for so many years. That, in a sentence, really captures the response of most of the people who've read this book. You know, you said the book is responsible for people leaving the institutional church in yeah. droves. Well, what's really interesting about it is the people who take that step, all that's happening is we've given them language and historical permission and biblical permission to follow through what they already know in their heart. Absolutely. That's the biggest thing I find that that people say is, is thank you for telling me what I already knew. Exactly. That's it. And uh, so many of them have made the comment, you know, I have known for years that something was wrong on the one hand, and that there had to be something more, uh, more authentic, more real, or deeper, richer, higher, on the other hand, and these books have really given language to that. And it's the same with Reimagining Church, which is the follow-up to Pagan Christianity. Pagan Christianity is really not a complete book. All it does is it deconstructs. Yeah. It doesn't really provide, you know, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. It sort of leaves the reader hanging, you know, there at the end. And um, and that was intentional because we knew that this was going to be a, a step-by-step process and changing the paradigm and the mindset. Yeah. So Reimagining Church came along several months after, and that's the constructive piece that says, okay, if the institutional, traditional, modern church structure is not God's original intention, then what should stand in its place? And that's what uh, Reimagining okay. Church does. It's the second part of the conversation. Okay. Wow. And how how is that done? Are people, are they responding to that? Are they getting it and loving it? Yes. Uh, in fact, it was, to my surprise, it was nominated best book uh, in the leadership category for 2008 by Outreach Magazine. Oh, wow. Which is, uh, you know, a well-known evangelical magazine. 
and uh, it's done very well also. Um, but that book doesn't complete the conversation either because it shows uh, it shows what the picture on the box really should look like if we follow the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus, you know, uh, the way they, the way I think they should be followed, you know, literally. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't show you how to put the pieces of the puzzle together, you know. Sure. So yeah. it, it kind of like, to me, pagan Christianity and reimagining church are two sides of the same coin. Pagan Christianity shows us that the picture on the puzzle box has been wrong, and that's why the puzzle pieces don't fit together. <laughs> yeah, that's and for reimagining sure. church gives us a new picture of the box. And if we look at that picture and we start putting the pieces together, they fit a lot better. Uh, but that's where the new book comes in, Finding Organic Church, and that's the how-to. Okay, how, how do these churches, this organic expression of the church that you and Barna have talked about, how are they born? How are they planted? How are they sustained? How are they nurtured? And that kind of a thing. And, and you know what I've found, Darren, is lots of the conferences I've been to, there's been a great deal of emphasis on church planting and church multiplication. And what I'm finding is that the books that are quoted uh, in these conferences and the experts that are looked to, they're mm -hmm. not Christians and they're not Christian books. They come straight out of the business world. Wow. The world of network marketing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's presented as the model. And so right, it is. what I do in uh, Finding Organic Church is I am drawing from principles that we find in the New Testament and those that I believe are timeless. Of course, not everything in the New Testament is timeless. You yeah. know, they wore sandals and togas sure. <laughs> and spoke corny Greek. <laughs> but there are timeless principles, and I believe yes. that those principles don't move, and we would be wise to follow them when it comes to God's people yeah. just gathering together as community under the headship of Jesus. A very simple thing, but a very profound thing. Yeah, but to me it's just exciting to see just worldwide what is happening with Christians, because, I mean, we are alive in one of the most exciting times, I think, in the history of mankind, just watching everything that's taking place and being sort of in the center of it all to me is just really one of the most exciting times to be alive. I'm, I mean, I just love seeing what's happening. Yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. So I, I finished reading uh, A Jesus Manifesto. Tell me what inspired you to write this, because, well, first of all, give me an idea. Well, let's let's start with a website where people can read this. Is there a quick website you can give me that people can go read this? If they go to uh, frankviola.com, that's easy to find. Okay. Frankviola.com, they'll see in the front page says a Jesus Manifesto. Okay. And they just click on that, and that'll take them to the website, Jesus Manifesto, and the authors are myself and Leonard Sweet, who's a prolific Christian and professor and, and teacher and so forth. What inspired it was that for a long time, you know, I have felt, right or wrong, I have felt that Jesus Christ is being shortchanged in his church. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, one would be over the last few years I've been to numerous conferences and, and listened to various speakers talk about everything under the sun from church planting to church growth to yeah. what are the problems in the, in the church and how can we fix them. I have now developed a new habit where I have a pen and pad, and as I'm listening to the speaker, Darren, I'm counting the number of times that he's mentioning the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> And to my shock, 
uh, in so many of these talks, 60-minute talks, 90-minute talks, he will not be mentioned once. Wow. Now, how on earth can you talk about (laughs) anything related to the Christian life, albeit church planting, church growth, church multiplication, uh, you know, living the Christian life, the problems of the church, without mentioning our Lord? But you know what? He's become a mascot to a business. Oh, there you go. And and <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's not a it, radical he, statement. Oh, but he's more he's more of an afterthought, you know. It's like well, exactly. He's a footnote. He's a logo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that coupled with uh, the fact that he's not truly being given his rightful place, which is the absolute place of supremacy and preeminence. You know, uh, Paul says in Colossians that the entire universe was created by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ, that he might have the first place in everything. And here's a man that literally believes that, because if you just count the number of times he refers to Jesus Christ in his epistles, say the first chapter of Ephesians, it's mind-blowing. You know, he'll he'll write five sentences, and he's mentioned the Lord like 30 times. Christ is pouring out of this man's pores. And so consequently, Leonard Sweet had the same feeling, the same burden, the same concern, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about two things. There's a lot of talk about imitating Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. yet the New Testament emphasis is that Christ lives in us and yeah. we can live by his divine life. And it is Christ in me, right. <laughs> which is the hope of glory. And it is not I, but Christ living his life through me. Well, that seems to be a missing note in Absolutely. many circles. And then Absolutely. the other thing is there's a real strong movement right now, and I shouldn't say movement, but I guess there's some streams that separate the teachings of Jesus from the person of Jesus. So Jesus just becomes a founder of these teachings, and our goal as Christians is just to kind of follow the teachings. And that's no different than following the teachings of Buddha or Confucius or, or any other spiritual guru. The fact of the matter is Jesus Christ embodies his teachings, and we can't properly follow his teachings without him living out his life in us. You can't separate the person of Jesus from his teachings. Right. And so consequently, these are just some of the things that Len Sweet and I feel very strongly about, and it's what provoked the Jesus Manifesto. Wow. But I think it goes along with everything that's happening in the world of Christianity because people, people are tired of learning about Jesus. And they're tired of following law number two, the things that Jesus said. And they're tired of their WWJD bracelets. And Absolutely. There's a point where, you know, I was in a Starbucks the other day and and there was a there was a church group. It was it was a Sunday evening. And they obviously had just come from church, and and they were sitting around, and and one of the guys was talking about how uh, how they're going to disciple people, and he said, and and you know we'll we'll get them there, and then we'll just begin teaching them how to love. And I kind of leaned in and I said, you know, if you have Christ, you have love. You don't. It's it's in you. It's alive in you. you love isn't something you teach. Jesus isn't something you teach. Mm. It's it's something that's there. If I have to teach a man how to love his wife, he doesn't love his wife. Mm. You know, it's it's. But we have been raised with a mindset that we can act out a certain way or we can perform a Jesus, and because of that, even the the term Christ likeness in American Christians' mindset is they're trying to imitate what they think Jesus would be. And it it doesn't even make sense. Right on, right on. 
I think I think the question of the hour, at least part of it in this discussion, is how did Jesus Christ live the Christian life? How did he do it? Uh, how did he live his life? And I'm using Christian life here in a general way to describe what he did when yeah. he lived and behaved and conducted himself. And the question is interesting. He didn't do it the way that most Christians are taught to do it. Yeah. And he says it over and over again, and yet we miss it, even though it's, it's staring us in the face in almost every page of the Gospels. But he keeps talking about he lived by another life. He lived by his Father yeah. who indwelt him. And then he turns around and says, what the Father was to me, I am to you. Yeah. You know, he said, I can do nothing of myself but what the Father does through me. And then he turns around and says, you <laughs> cannot do anything without me. <laughs> And, uh, you know, as I live by the Father, so you live by me. And this is all over the New Testament, and yet we, we miss it, and we, we turn the teachings of Jesus into another law, as you say. Absolutely. And now we have to try to—we're living in the Old Covenant, basically. Yeah, we absolutely and, are. Uh, and we have an indwelling Lord, and it's not enough just to know that he lives in us, but, boy, we can actually know him, and we can live by him, and we can allow him to live through us as believers. And uh, once we've touched that, it changes everything. It wipes everything else off the table, and he becomes central and supreme. Do you find that people who maybe were not getting this or sort of in the old religious way of thinking, when they read this article or when they hear this, that there is a change in them, or is this something that that maybe is just ringing true with people who already get it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, that's a hard question to answer, and I, I guess I'd have to think about it a little bit. I would say that for most of them, it, and this would be true for my books, I would say that the majority of people who read them are those who say, you've given language for right. what I already knew was true, or you have expressed, you know, what was in my heart. On the other hand, I have received a fair amount of email, and I don't know what the percentages are, where people have said, you changed my mind, or your book changed my mind, or this message changed my mind and my heart. And again, I don't know what the percentages would be. Um, sometimes it takes a while, Darren, and I think you're going to find yeah. this too when your book comes out, because I think it's going to be read by lots of people. But you may have detractors in the beginning who, you know, pick it up and throw it against the wall and say, man, this guy yeah. is off base or yeah. I can't, he's a heretic or whatever. Six months later, you'll get an email or a letter saying, you know what, God <laughs> shook me to my core. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm sure I totally, you've seen that before, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, I wonder with the church world, you know, I'll be honest, when I left being a pastor, um. I still had my book, The God's Honest Truth, at that time, and, and I promoted it feverishly, tried to get people to read it in the church, but I found that uh, the doors were pretty much locked to what I had to say in the church, and so I just sort of left the church and really kind of went out into the world with the message. And I've I've found that a lot of the things like like you talk about people's view of of Jesus and how they minimize him and turn him into you know nothing more than a teacher um, in the church environment, I find that the the modern day institutional church environment, um, if they were to quote unquote repent from the way things are being done, 
they would likely lose their business. Yep. And and I think yep. that you know what I'm saying. And there there's a there's a huge part of them that doesn't want this truth, and so yeah. they'll do what they can to stomp it out. But that's unfortunately true. And uh, I I was very encouraged a couple months ago. Someone sent me a, a blog. It was written by a gentleman. I think he's in seminary. I don't think he's a pastor or a paid professional at this point. But when pagan Christianity came out, he just tore it to shreds mm. on his blog and ripped it apart and, you know, threw salt and pepper on it and lit it up. And <laughs> he just tore it up and was angry. Well, some months later, I guess, no, this would be a year later because this happened a few months ago. So we're talking a year later. He writes in his blog and he admits and he says, you know what? I attacked pagan Christianity and the main reason was because I saw my income evaporate. Yeah, yeah. Because well, I am spending money to be a pastor. And if what these guys are saying is true, then that means my source of income. Yeah is over and that's the reason why I came against it and and then he ended with saying something like you know what I think what they're saying is right. Wow. And that was that was very touching and moving to me personally. Not that I'm infallible. I mean, I have more imperfections than the average the average Christian, I'm sure. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, I do believe that what we are saying, the core of it is true. And, you know, when you when you get attacked and people are just coming so strong against what you're saying, it really takes a lot of confidence to dig your heels in and say, well, you know what, maybe I am wrong, but I don't see it. Yeah, absolutely. This, to me, if Jesus Christ is still alive and he rose again from the dead, just as I believe that, I believe this. Yeah. And um, I'm, not, I'm not certain in it. And to, to see someone come out like that and say that honestly and openly it's just so refreshing and encouraging. It is, and, and you almost never see that, you know. And I, I remember somebody, when I first started preaching this message, somebody said, so what, are you saying everyone in the world is wrong and you're the only one who's right? <laughs> right. And right, I said, right. evidently. <laughs> well, what's so funny about that is that's the exact argument that the hostile non-Christian will use against every believer who says <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God I, I remember. the way to the Father. <laughs> Are you saying that you're only one that's right? <laughs> you know, so it's kind of a silly thing. And, and the fact of the matter is, what you're saying in your book um, <clears throat> that comes out in November and in the new forum, and what I have said and George Barna have said, is this is not new. This is no. not new revelation. Not at all. You know, there are Christians throughout the centuries who believed and taught these things, and unfortunately they lived in a day where they were tortured and murdered. Yeah. Some of them, you know. Uh, because it went against the status quo and the grain of the of the institutional church system of that day. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your book, From Eternity to Here. I, I read it. I loved it. And it had such a different ring to it than what I'm used to hearing with you. I mean, you're very, you you have, you're so thorough with everything, you know. You have... You do a lot of research. It's it's really obvious that you do. You know, you you dot all your I's, you cross all your T's, and then all of a sudden comes out this book that is almost like a book of poetry. Mm. And it is it goes. You know, pagan Christianity. I recommend to everyone. I mean, just flat out, I would. I mean, it's 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 a book that will define a generation. I think it's just that amazing. And. And I've got nothing bad to say about it, but the tone of it is more scholarly. It's more these are the facts, you know. Right. 
Um, and that's its purpose. So it needs to be that way. From eternity to here, it's like its heart from beginning to end. And it shows the reader this beautiful love story, this this beautiful picture in three different ways. It shows this incredible picture of what God wants with humankind. And I, I what in the world inspired this from you? <laughs> That's a great question, and I appreciate you asking me so honestly and, and so clearly. I mean, your analysis is right on. Two things. One is the message, believe it or not, the message of from eternity to here, which is the message of God's ageless, eternal purpose, is what's behind. It's the underbelly of pagan Christianity. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. I mean, yeah. I, we know <laughs> that. the first thing. Um, and I'm glad you see that because, you know, we're really dealing with God has an eternal purpose and the church is at the center of it. And so pagan Christianity is kind of the challenge to what's in the way of that. Now, yeah. having said that, the difference in style is simply this. All of my other books I wrote sitting down and, you know, getting my books out, and so I made sure I was footnoting properly, (laughs) and writing uh, from scratch. From eternity to here are spoken messages that have been transcribed. Okay. So you get a feel for my spoken ministry by reading from eternity to here, which is much more right brain. It's much more aimed at the heart. Yeah. It has a poetic narrative element to it, and it's, you know, very down-to-earth. And so that's really what you're touching there is you're touching my spoken ministry. Well, I, I, I love it because there, there are just points in the book that, in my, my opinion, just kind of bring you to your knees. I mean, just it's, it's very, very heartfelt, and I can't imagine—I love the way you describe it because I can't imagine anybody— reading this book and walking away worrying that God might be fed up with them or, or God might oh, turn man. his face from them. I mean, it's, it's described so clearly and so beautifully and simply that, that those kinds of fears just sort of flood away. Amen. Well, that's encouraging for me to hear because that's certainly one of the goals of the book. Absolutely. I mean, if we can get behind the eyes of our Lord and see as he sees But everything, the entire landscape of our lives changes radically and profoundly. And uh, I think the the story, the narrative, the grand narrative of Scripture has been lost to us. And so what I'm, I'm trying to do in this book is to show readers that we have the key that unlocks the entire Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 and in Revelation 21 and 22. And there is an unbroken, beautiful, compelling story that runs through consistently and has everything to do with the Son of God and has everything to do with us, the church. And um, one of the most frequent comments I've gotten, and this this brings me to my knees when I hear it, but uh, people have said so often, I have fallen in love with my Lord again. Yeah. You know, and... uh, it's nice to be somewhere in that, you know, to even have anything to do with that. It's it's just, it's an exciting, it's an honor, you know? Amen. Well, if we can see, I mean, really see and apprehend the overwhelming, immense, and monumental output 
poured out of his head in love with us that he has, the love, the beating heart of God, yeah. the love that he has for us. Um, to see it in, in heights and depths unseen or unheard, then you know what? It causes us to love him. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, all the, all the, te- and you know this, I know you know this, all the teaching from preachers to try to get God's people to love yeah. him. Yeah. It's so much rooted in making them feel guilty, making them sure feel is. bad, that they're not doing better than the best they can do. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, those teachings and, and it are, yeah. It doesn't accomplish anything. You know, I was at a church. My, my kids go to vacation Bible school every every year to this little church down the down the road. And they uh, Sunday, you know, we, we came and listened to them sing all their songs. This is a couple months ago. And every song was like... Um, he will never leave me. He's always going to be here. Um, another song would be like, he'll never betray me. He'll always, it, it's like every song was almost like making up for all the crap that they've dished out on people. <laughs> and and it, it felt like all the Christians were saying, he's good. He's good. He won't leave me. He won't hurt me. He'll never hurt wow. me. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I mean, it just, it got to the point where I, I realized every teaching and almost every song is, is almost mm-hmm. us desperately trying to convince ourselves that he's not going to hurt us. Yeah. Amen. And you know, there is the bait and switch gospel. I know you're familiar with this, but the bait is you say, we say to the non-Christian, come to Jesus just as you are. He loves <laughs> yeah. you <laughs> yeah. just as you are. He accepts you. It's unconditional. Yeah. It's unconditional love. Yeah, I remember. Once you once you say the prayer, <laughs> oh boy. I remember sitting on stage watching people come down and crying, to the, and they'd be singing the song, Just As I Am. <laughs> And I but think you wait. Uh, the next day. Yeah. Well, now you become a Christian and everything changes. And now God's, boy, he's looking at you and <laughs> you better perform, my friend. I know it. I know it. That's, that's so funny. I mean, that's I, I remember feeling so guilty when I saw people up crying and, and the tears in their eyes were because he would accept them just as they are. <laughs> I used to think, wait till next Sunday. <laughs> right. It's all there over it then. And to me, it's just exciting to watch this whole thing bloom into something new. And for years, I tried to figure out how can we fix the church? And I never would have imagined that the answer would be to leave it and to become it. And, and I never thought in my wildest dreams that what has taken place today would be what would happen. Ultimately, I could never have thought it up. And just amazing to be a part of it. And I want to thank you, Frank, for, for joining me. And for those of you who who uh, do not know who Frank is, which I doubt if there's any of you out there, go to his website. It's frankviola.com. Yeah, sure. Go check it out and get his book from eternity to here. And, and by the time you're done reading, and I'm sure another one will be out. And when you're done with that one, I'm sure another one will be out. But, hey, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been rich, and I am very encouraged. And thank you so, uh, so much. Glad we can talk. Um, I, I do want to say something to you, if you'll let me do this uh, yes. on my way out. Um, these are all reminders here, but I envision that over the next six months, following the release of your book, you're going to get a massive amount of emails and letters. And uh, I think the majority of those are going to be very positive. Uh, God's people are going to be liberated, set free, falling in love with the Lord again. 
or will be a percentage that is very negative, yeah. some of which will be nasty. And two things that have helped me, and I'll pass on to you, and these are just reminders because I'm sure you know this, but one of them is just remember that the negative letters and words have also passed through the hands of God before they got to you. Hmm. Number one, and so don't focus on the person writing it, but focus on the Lord behind it. And the second thing is your reaction to those things will give greater integrity to your message and who you are, but people are watching your reaction. And that will speak volumes. In other words, the negative words, the negative responses, the criticisms and the attacks are opportunities for you to show Jesus Christ to people. Well, thanks. I appreciate and, uh, that. So keep those two things in mind. Yeah, I certainly will. And I'm, we're, Angie and I are sort of bracing ourselves here in the next six months for, for what's going to happen. And, and so I appreciate I definitely appreciate it. Thank you. Sure, brother. Let's keep in touch, and uh, thanks so much for having me. All right, my brother. God bless you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. I really, really have spent a lot of time with this guy on the phone, and just I'll tell you, he's just a nice guy. More than anything, Frank is just hes just a very down-to-earth, very, very nice guy with a heart for the Lord, and and he just continues to pump out this stuff for people. And uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't read From Eternity to Here, give it, a, give it a try. Give it a read. I think you'll like it. If you haven't read Pagan Christianity, I think you should read that too, or any, uh, any other of his books. And like anything, even that I write, you may not agree with everything, but there are so many nuggets in what Frank Viola writes that I think you're going to be blessed no matter what. Hey, thank you so much for joining me. And come back again soon, all right? You've just been released into the wild. Yeah.